Welcome to Household Hermeneutics, where we're going to take you on a journey through systematic and historical theology and help you apply it to your daily family life. All right, welcome to a new episode of Household Hermeneutics. I'm actually really excited for this one, Jamie, because we've spent the last two episodes, which then as we release them, takes like four weeks, just establishing Uh what we're going to talk about. And you know what we're doing today? You're getting into it. Yes, we are finally diving into an actual systematic theology topic, and I'm stoked. Yeah, it was kind of funny when we did the first two episodes. I feel like we needed to do them. We needed to lay that groundwork. We needed to get into the introduction. And when we wrote them, I was like, oh, this is great. And then we'll get into it. But like you said, it took four weeks. And so like last week, I was like, "Okay, come on, let's get into it. So we are diving in today. We are talking about revelation and inspiration of scripture. Yes. And that is not revelation, the book of the Bible, but the actual like the revelation of scripture. Yes, and it being divinely inspired, we're going to talk about, give some resources, and this is really laying the first initial groundwork of where we need to go. And I think we talked about, let's not forget because it's been four weeks, I think (laughs) we talked about in the first two episodes about the fact that we kind of went back and forth on where we wanted to start. Yes, because a lot of systematic theology texts generally kind of, they go back and forth on whether you start with the doctrine of God, theology proper, or if you start with the doctrine of the word of God or bibliology. And we decided ultimately to start with the word of God because everything you learn about God kind of comes out of the word of God. And so we just felt like for our purposes and our preference, let's establish that first. And then once we've talked about the word of God and you'll know way more about the Bible than you ever wanted to know, um, then we'll move on to actually teaching you more about God, his attributes, why they're so important and incredible and amazing and all of that. So that's what's coming next. But for now, for the next few episodes, we're going to be digging in to the word of God and how we can trust it, why we should trust it, all that great stuff. Yeah, because like when you look at the big fatty systematic theologies that are, you know, a thousand pages, they do kind of split into two camps. They either start with the doctrine of God's word or with God. And it makes sense. At first, we thought, well, we start with God because that's that's really where it needs to start. He is the ultimate. We start with him. Uh, But we did, like Jason said, we decided to start here with the word, um, partly too, because they're a very big element of as we move forward into these theological discussions is apologetics. We want to have a, uh, uh, we want to be able to defend our faith. We want to have a very grounded, um, historical look at Christianity to say, this is not something that we've just invented in the last hundred years. Right. This is a historical faith that we can look back and see the early church fathers taught these same doctrines. Um, uh, we want to be able to look at that and establish that. And so from an apologetic standpoint, If we can be firm on what God's word is, well, God's word is how we learn about God. Exactly. So God is what we want to get to, but establishing what God's word is, why we can trust it, the authority of it, we're going to look at the canon, then that's going to really establish a groundwork to then jump into these other doctrines. Everything else that we learn from the word of God. Exactly. All right. So as we jump into this, we have a lot of... um, Texts from church history we're going to read. We've got scripture. And then at the end, we're going to talk about why this particular topic is important before we jump into authority of scripture in the next episode. Authority and the inerrancy of scripture will be our next episode. So we might touch on that a little bit because all of these topics do kind of overlap and touch on each other. But the the, the, the actual establishment and really going deep on those will be in the next one. Okay, so Jason, why don't you kick it off and tell us, what do we mean by the word of God? This is the first thing we need to establish. What is that? So when we look at scripture and we look at even like 
what God says about scripture, there are multiple different ways that the word of God is used. And so really briefly, we'll cover the first three and then we'll dive into the fourth, which is where the real meat of this discussion is going to be. So to start with, the word of God refers to Jesus sometimes in scriptures, Jesus Christ himself. This is not the most common usage, but it does exist. You see that, for example, in John 1, 1 and 14, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word there is clearly speaking of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, also, for example, in Revelation 13, I'm sorry, Revelation 19, 13b, the name by which he is called is the word of God. So that's the first usage that you see in scripture. And that is good to know. But as we go through this study, we are not going to be using that as our primary uh, definition. Now, the thing, though, as we're building theology, uh, as we go through this podcast, this is something, this is a really interesting thing to see. You have a pretty strong case right there for the deity of Christ as well. And that is something that is extremely important because the deity of Christ, Christ being God, is a very essential doctrine to Christianity, which cults and false religions, first off, straight away mess with the deity of God. They say that he is not God. And that's where the error starts in so many ways. And so as we are wanting to have a defense for our faith and see why Christianity teaches what it does, that's going to be another essential doctrine that we need to be aware of and keep an eye out for. Yes, we will definitely establish Christ's deity when we get to talking about him in this in this series, as well as we will eventually have an episode on the Trinity proper, because Mm -hmm. it's another very important. The belief in a triune God is absolutely essential to uh, actual Orthodox Christianity and any. Any belief system that exists that denies any element of the triune nature of God is is is, is it's off Heresy. the reservation. It's heretical. Yep. That is one of those close handed doctrines mm-hmm. that we need to know. So mm-hmm. while and, this is and not many people don't understand that that is essential. It's kind of like, what's the big deal there? Right. What they're saying is not that different. Well, it is. And we're going to talk about yeah, the implications for it yes. are actually okay. detrimental. So go ahead. But well, what's uh, the second way to look at? Sure. So you will often see often in scriptures the word of God being used when it's actually talking about the actual spoken words of God. So God, like, like quoting God's word, exactly. actually, like the words that God has said, actually quoting those in scripture. Yes. Right. Like in the, in the creation account in Genesis, okay. it literally will say, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, this was very good. And all those things, those are literally quoting the spoken words of God. So this is a very common in the Bible usage of the word of God. Well, and then of course, in the New Testament, we have boatloads of Jesus's actual words. Exactly. So he actually, you know, we have his actual quoted words there. So obviously that would be God's words in that instance. Yes. So another example of God's word given in the Old Testament would be when he gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. He actually gave those to Moses. It was his spoken word. They were recorded on the tablets of stone. Mm-hmm. And so that that's another example. Again, in Exodus, God speaking to his people says, this is Exodus 20, one through three. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. That's an example of God's word being like his literal spoken words to his people. Now, before we get into the next point, this is this is important as we get to this next point in talking about the fact that all of God's word, 
is God's word. Right. And it is inspired because um, there are teachers, there are false religions that will say that, um, you know, Jesus was just a good man and we can learn from his teachings or that, um, you know, we only take those quotes that actually specifically show God talking as God's word. The rest is all just man filling in their details. And that's not true. That is heresy. And that's really, really important distinction to see is that, yes, we see God and Jesus directly quoted. But the fact, though, that the rest of that book and the rest of all the 66 books is also God's is direct also revelation. God's direct, yes, direct and revelation. And should be treated equally. Which is the next point, right? Yeah. Well, yes. And I mean, but w- one last thing on this point is there are examples of God not actually speaking audibly directly to his people, but like oh, right. it also talks about God, the word of God coming through his prophets. For example, Jeremiah 1, 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. This is God declaring that what the prophet Jeremiah is going to speak to his people is God's own word. And this is then recorded for us in scripture. So this is the second kind of main usage of the word of God in Bible, in the Bible. It is very important for the reasons we just gave. But again, it's not the primary one we're going to focus on. So finally, the fourth type of the word of God, and this is the focus for our podcast, like I said, is God's words in written form. So like we just established, a lot of the Bible is God's actual spoken or written words. And it's obvious that those words came from his mouth, like with the Ten Commandments or the creation account, all these things. Uh, the words Jesus spoke in the New Testament, you know, if you have like a red letter Bible, it's, they make mm-hmm. it even more obvious that these are the words God, in, you know, as Jesus actually spoke. But even the rest of the Bible should be considered God's own words. He inspired them through all the many authors, which we'll talk about. But they are his words. Yeah. And we need to treat them as such. We need to treat them as divine revelation. When we have um, Paul teaching, for example, it is divine revelation. Um, And so the where I think it gets murky, and this is what we need to understand, is that Paul, when he is writing, he is writing to a very specific people in a very specific point in time. So um, he is explaining or using examples that culturally would be appropriate to the people who are listening. Now, this is still divinely inspired. God inspired him to write this. We take this as God's own words. But what we have to do then is modern readers, what we tend to do is look at a verse and apply it directly to ourselves. And what we miss a lot of times is what the original application would have been. Yeah, the context. So when you look at when Paul, I cannot even think of a single example off the top of my head, but (laughs) this is what happens when you're just like talking. Um, But when you look at, um, you know, Paul is giving exhortation to a certain church, um, the church at Philippi, when you're reading the book of Philippians, when he is giving teaching, what we have to first understand is we have to say, what would the original hearers of that letter, how would they have understood what Paul is teaching? Yeah. We don't skip that and go straight to application. We need to understand what the application was for the church in Philippi. Exactly. And when we understand what that is, then we can make direct application to our life. Correct. Because otherwise we could miss some really, really important applications because we're just trying to apply it. And it is, we live in a very different culture yeah. than the New Testament time period. Yeah. And it, it is absolutely true what you're saying, Jamie. And I think that it, you can miss a lot of nuance and a lot of just what the actual application would be in our case when you completely just remove the actual cultural context and the time. Like 
all of his letters are addressing churches in different locations mm -hmm. with specific problems. They are either having specific problems and sin issues that he's addressing and or he's giving encouragement for certain things they're doing right. Mm -hmm. And when you don't have a clue what those things are mm -hmm. and also just like what sort of cultural context these things would be taken in, uh, it, it can be hard to actually make an appropriate, actually godly and biblical application to your own experience in your own circumstances. Mm -hmm. We've gone a little bit far afield from establishing this as God's word, but I think that this is one of those things that's an important application of why we understand that this is God's word. But this is what we need to understand. When Paul is writing letters to the Ephesians, to the church in Philippi, to the Colossians, to, to he's writing to these real people, heretical churches will look at his writing as wise writing yeah, and like wise application, but they don't see it as God's direct revelation in God's word. And so that is what, if you're an evangelical Christian, it's kind of like, well, duh. Yeah. Okay. It's God's word. We all believe that. Well, there's a lot of heresy and there's a lot of false teaching out there that very subtly can you can go, oh, that kind of makes sense. And yeah. so you just feelings based, you kind of yeah. move that way. And well, you're you're moving away from the fact that this is God's divinely inspired revelation. Yeah. And that's where like it can be a really subtle error at first, yeah. but it can take you directly into heresy. Well, if you prioritize like certain like I've heard in the modern context, people who are like, oh, yeah, I'm more of a Jesus Christian, but like I don't really like the Pauline writings like I, I kind right. of like, but he's not Jesus is God. His words are clearly more important. Right. I'm going to go with that and I'm going to kind of I'm obviously ad-libbing here, like, you know, with adding their motive in, but um, I'm going to interpret his words in such a way that I I like them and that they agree with my outlook on my worldview. And like those Paul ones, they're harder for me to twist in that way. So I'm just going to say Paul's less important than Jesus and I'm not going to listen to him. Well, I mean, that's what progressive Christians yeah, do. Very and much so, so, but progressive Christians will also say, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate religion. And I understand in some contexts why they say that, but at the same time, what progressive Christians will do is they'll just look at the very, what they see as the touchy feely lovey part of Jesus. And they'll ignore the God of the old Testament right. as if somehow the God of the old Testament is different and separate and not applicable sure. to what Jesus is teaching. Right. And yet we need to look at what Jesus is teaching through the lens of the old Testament, because it is all divinely inspired. Yes. And so this is something that is incredibly important when we look at um, just the sheer heresy that the progressive church is getting into. And just, uh, it, it leads to some, really, really harmful things that we need to be aware of and that we need to be safeguarding and that we also need to be setting up, especially our children to understand. Right. Because if they don't understand that this is even a problem, they're going to walk into that heresy and that progressive church right. and not even realize why it's so dangerous and so damaging. But if they're equipped from the beginning to understand these arguments, to understand why we don't say, oh, well, I'm just going to look at Jesus's words and ignore the rest. Um, it's all divinely inspired and it all needs to be interpreted together yes. and applied together. Yes. And so that is what we need to equip ourselves. Um, I will say women, we tend to have a very big problem with listening to very popular women teachers who maybe on a feelings based um, an emotions based approach, their words sound good and they sound loving, but it's missing a lot of scripture of what God actually says. And so women, we need to be equipping ourselves to not listen to these progressive Christian voices that are leading us away from God's word yeah. and that we need to be equipping and training up our children and our families to to really know um, the the authority of God's word we're going to talk about in the next episode. Um, and the reason we trust in the authority of God's word is because we see that it is divinely inspired. Yes. And not just to pick on women, there are plenty of of, of male teachers out there that are doing the same. Thing. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and you know, it's 
But uh, I know what you mean, because a lot of women tend to listen to more women and that's where they're getting some of those problems. But yeah, they exist in a lot of places and we should have a lot of discernment on where we're getting our our teaching and our exegesis of scripture. Yes. And just because someone sounds like they have the most loving approach uh, doesn't mean it's biblical, it is accurate, or that it even really is the most loving approach. Um, And that's why we just need to be, we need to be discerning uh, and we need to make sure that we are filtering and checking absolutely everything, including what Jason and I are saying today through scripture, first and foremost. So to encapsulate all of that, the purpose of this study in this episode and the few to follow is going to be to dig into God's word in the form of the Bible specifically. And I mean, the reason for that is that the written word of God that we have on our phones, in our houses, I'm sure a lot of us own many copies of the Bible, which is Mm -hmm. pretty amazing considering there are parts of the world who don't have any or aren't even allowed to have any legally. It's awesome how many we have. So that is the form that we can actually learn about God and his word to us. And it's what's most useful for us to study and to discuss with others. And and that's why we're focusing on it today. So we're going to dive into what does it mean to be divinely inspired? Um, and so when we're when we're talking about God's word, we're talking about something very specific. And this is another really important thing. And this seems basic, but this can lead to a lot of errors as well. Um, it's a very important point because... Um, so many false religions mess with the core of what God's word is. Well, I mean, every single one does. Right. If you look at the the like most of the world religions around the world, they revere the Bible at least as wise teaching. Yeah. Um, and yet then they go, I mean, then, then it's just utter heresy from there. Or like the case with the Mormon church, they say they're Christians, they take God's word, but they add on to it. And so that's what we need to be really aware of. So for evangelical Christians, the word of God is the 66 books of the Bible. Exactly. So we're talking about the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament. That is God's divinely inspired word. There is no addition. Yes, that is the canon. And there's no subtraction either. Right. It is the 66 books. We yeah. are going to talk about the canon. We're going to talk about why that's important and why we can trust in the canon, because that's another big thing that progressive Christians attack. Yes, because it can be one of those things where, sure, there's a lot of God's divinely inspired word out there. But how do we know that the 66 books that were chosen by man are those and that they don't include ones that shouldn't actually be in there or that they do include or that they're missing out on excellent ones that that God might have inspired, but we didn't capture. And we will talk about that. So we're going to put that that particular point on hold for now. Well, it's really amazing. I just want to encourage you because this is a point that a lot of progressive Christians get into trouble because they say, well, like you're saying, well, do we know? Do we you know, whatever? Um, and so I have a, a bachelor's degree in biblical studies and my well, I actually have a double degree. So it's it's biblical studies and history. So you can tell where, what point I like, right? (laughs) Right. So um, I had so many church history classes because that was really my emphasis that I was very into. I love history. And so I actually think it's highly, highly, highly encouraging when you look at church history, when you look at the canonicity um, to study how they decided what would, what would be included because they were just not just blindly picking exactly. books that they liked yep. the history, um, the process that they went through, um, making sure that there was, um, witnesses. Like it is absolutely incredible. It is not just random. Like we can stand firm knowing that those 66 books are divinely inspired. They are canon. And so this is an important thing. We need to make sure that we know why. So when someone says, well, what about this Gnostic gospel? Why don't we include that? Well, because it was written in 1833. Like that's why. Um, And so there is there. Or it includes clearly 
unhistorical things right that the, have the, the, the early happened, church so and the, the early church rejected the day it was written right. um there are so many things that we can look at that can make us confident in our standing yes and so i'm very excited for the for that for that discussion because we're going to go i get excited that. can anybody tell okay so um so so that is what we're talking about with god's word we are talking about the canon the 66 books for christians this does not include include any other inspired works no apocrypha no teaching from joseph smith no teachings from muhammad uh this is the 66 books and we will cover more of that okay yes. so let's get into jason what is divinely inspired? Okay, so we've really sort of established so far that the Bible is the revelation of God's word and that we should trust all of it as God's word, whether or not it's an actual direct quote from him or something like that. So now let's move into the, the idea that it is divinely inspired by him. So first of all, looking back at church history, and this is where, as in our last episode, we talked about all these different forms of theology that we're going to use to study these ways. If you use historical theology, you look a lot through church history. And right now, if we go through that lens, we can see that the divine nature of God's word was throughout history, firmly believed and applied. So let's look at that a little bit. Firstly, the word of God is written at, was written about at length in a lot of the early historical confessions. So if we look at the 1561 Belgic Confession, Article 2 states, God makes himself known to us more clearly by his holy and divine word, as much as we need in this life for God's glory and for our salvation. Also, many early church fathers, such as Clement of Rome, Justin Martyr, Origen, or Origen, I've heard it pronounced different ways, and um, Irenaeus, often emphasize the divine nature of the inspiration of scripture. Also, if you look at the early church father, Gregory of Nyssa, he said, the scripture inspired by God, as the Apostle Paul calls it, is the scripture of the Holy Spirit, and its intention is the prophet of men. Thus, it is by the power of the Spirit that the holy men who are under divine influence are inspired, and every scripture is for this reason said to be inspired by God, because it is the teaching of the divine breath. Now, let's look at another article of the Belgian Confession, which states, God, with special care for us and our salvation, commanded his servants, the prophets and the apostles, to commit this revealed word to writing. God, with his own finger, wrote the two tablets of the law. Therefore, we call such writings holy and divine scriptures. So, speaking on this topic of the revelation of scriptures as we've been doing today, the theologian Louis Burkhoff said, It should be observed that in theology it never denotes a mere passive, perhaps unconscious, becoming manifest, but always a conscious, voluntary, and intentional deed of God by which he reveals or communicates divine truth. The whole point of this is that we don't search for and discover God, but rather through his divine word, he is revealing himself to us. So let's move on to another historic confession. If we look at the Westminster Confession of Faith from 1646, in chapter one, it states, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the spirit or traditions of men. And you can see there that they're even trying to do that exclusionary topic, that denial that there should not be anything added to the canon. Yeah, and so this is where 
looking at creeds and confessions from the early church and then especially like the Middle Ages church. Right. Is in the time of the Reformation. Which yes. Is this. Yes. Is really, really important um, because we do not. Okay, so how do I say this? So the Catholic Church puts a lot of store in um, church in church traditions, um, so much so that it becomes basically equal with revelation in God's word. Well, you can have a tradition that is blatantly wrong. Right. Like that doesn't that doesn't give you like, oh, well, we've just always done it this way. Well, it doesn't mean it's right. Right. However, when we look at the historical church, it is really helpful in seeing the formation of doctrines. So when we look at the fact that God's word was inspired, this is not a modern thought that no. all of a sudden it's we're not like, like a new idea. oh, every word is God's word. This is what the church historically thought from Right. From Jesus, from the disciples, passed down. Mm -hmm. And so looking at the historical church can be really, really helpful yep. because we don't want to make the error either that in the last 50 years, we've invented something new <laughs> and we know better. Exactly. Um, we want to make sure that um, this is in line with what, you know, tracing back to Jesus and the apostles. Now, it does get hard. You look at baptism, you look at certain doctrines. There are some doctrines that were contested and have been debated. Modern evangelical Real Christians can disagree on the means and modes of baptism. Sure. It doesn't mean that we throw out everybody who disagrees with us on that. Right. However, that is also not an essential doctrine. And it is something that we do see there was some differences in the early church. Um, and yet with things like the deity of Jesus, with things like divinely inspired revelation, these are things that the church was very, the, the real church was very Fully unified united on, on throughout history. And was very codified very early yes. on. And they rejected straight out you will see in a lot of these core doctrines heresies would try to pop up and they would say absolutely not this is why yeah and to your point jamie while that is not as equally um, prioritized as conclusive as scripture itself that is a very strong indicator towards well because there was there was fact. heresies in the first and mm -hmm. second and third century you see people pop up and try to say no like it's yeah. just spiritualized yeah. well, but you see the majority of the church when they had their councils, when they made their creeds, yeah. um, were very unified in those things. Yeah, in the see. in the early church, there were already people attacking the concept of the triune nature of God. That I mean, a lot of Athanasius's entire like reason for existing was that he was very firmly defending that that single doctrine. I mean, he did other things too, but that's what he's very well known for. And because that already like those thoughts already existed early back right. then. Well, and it's not just that we're like, hey, this one guy thought this, we need to believe him. But when you read the early church fathers' writings, you see the defense that they had for the exactly. faith. They had reasons. It was not just like, oh well, Athanasius thought it, so we do too. Exactly. There when you really that's why I get so passionate and excited. And also that's why about I, studying that's that. why I'm taking a lot of time right now to quote these old documents, not right. just to bore you but to really sort of establish <laughs> that the this uh, the right. revelation and the divinely inspired nature of God's word has always been believed and very well documented from yes. early times. Not only do we now. see it in scripture, but that is what the earliest Christians believed yes. and have carried down. And so that's why it is important and can be very helpful. Um, I think it is also very helpful for someone who is struggling with doubts, who is struggling with listening to uh, postmodern and progressive Christianity, or even those who are not Christians. It can feel like, you know, progressive Christians, postmodern thinkers can kind of make us feel like we just, you know, uh, what are they, what a they call it like a sky, your sky daddy your sky or daddy, whatever. Yeah. Like they just very much will be uh, very condescending as if we have- Imaginary spaghetti monster or whatever. Yeah, or... like that. Well, just that they make, you can make it feel like we are like 
not intellectual, that we are not um, smart, that we are just believing these things. And yet it, that's not true. We have so much intellectual power behind oh, yeah. why we believe what we believe. And so I think for someone who's struggling with doubts, it is really important to look at yeah. and the, the historicity of it. I also do think this has been a problem more in the modern, like current church is almost the anti-intellectualism of Christianity mm -hmm. and the faith. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, don't think like, it's, you know, God loves you. Jesus saved you. Right. That's all you need to know. And just be friends and thankful. And it's like, like we don't need to engage. Our yeah. Friends. And we almost, don't need to... almost trying to be rational about things and actually think through things and like study and use your intellect is almost frowned upon. And I think or that has kind just, of infected the church or even just downplayed. Yeah. Like it's not, it just doesn't, you know, love people, which is very important. Right. Uh, and we just don't need to have this same emphasis, which is why I think so many of us have grown up not knowing this stuff. Yeah. We don't know church history. We don't know these doctrines. And so when the progressive church or false religion comes by and says, hey, look at this, it doesn't sound that off. And mm -hmm. you're like, Oh, yeah, and then you're help to lead you astray if you right, don't actually we know don't why know, it's wrong. We don't know what we believe. And yeah. that's what we want to make sure that we know what we believe and that we are teaching it to our children. Yes. So they are prepared for the days ahead. Yeah. OK, continue. All right, on. So let's move on. Now we're going to take a look at the London Baptist Confession of Faith from 1689 in section one of chapter one. It states the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient certain and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith and obedience, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable. Now let's look at someone, one of my favorites from history, Jonathan Edwards from the 16th century. He was a, probably the most famous American theologian of all time. He wrote, It cannot be said that we come to the knowledge of any part of Christian divinity by the light of nature. The light of nature teaches no truth as it is in Jesus. It is only, and this is the key part for this discussion, the word of God contained in the Old and New Testaments, which teaches us Christian doctrine. That is how, this is me speaking, that was end quote. That is how we can learn about God, learn about his word to us, how we are to live as Christians is the word of God. We can't get that from any other source. That's why this is so important. Okay. So now we're going to jump to back in time to 1566, the Second Helvetic Confession. In section one, chapter one, as you can see from all these chapter headings, this topic was usually very early on established in all of these historic documents. It says, We believe and confess the canonical scriptures of the holy prophets and apostles of both testaments to be the true word of God and to have sufficient authority of themselves, not of men. For God himself spoke to the fathers, prophets, apostles, and still speaks to us through the Holy Scripture. Okay, now let's now look to modern times, and we're going to look at theologian Michael Horton, who says on this topic of the truth of Scripture, God's word not only asserts truth, it creates and destroys, plants and uproots, judges and justifies, kills and makes alive. I thought that was a really expressive, vivid picture of what God's word does. It is truly the ultimate expression of truth, by which all things are to be measured by. I think that is critical to understand because if you don't see it that way, and the only way you can see it that way is if you think of it as inspired and true, it is the ultimate truth. So we see other other great names, other great men throughout history, um, Thomas Aquinas, John Wycliffe, Martin Luther, John Calvin, others who um, completely agree with this concept uh, that the word 
the words of scripture come to us directly and entirely from God. So hopefully you're getting the point that this yeah. is not a contested doctrine. New with, idea, yes, anything like that. Within uh, Orthodox Christianity. This is one of those closed fists we talked about, right? Like you hold certain doctrines with an open hand. Baptism, we can ha- we can have a conviction. Absolutely, we should have a conviction on it as we study. Um, but we hold it with a loose hand because there are Christians who disagree on this. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ withholding that doctrine with an open hand. And it can change over your lifetime. Uh, Closed hand doctrine is something like the deity of Christ or the inerrancy of scripture that we hold with a closed hand. That is not something that is up for debate. And so that is something, yeah, that we just want to look at in that way. So it really wasn't until our modern age that people started to seriously question the inspiration and true source of the Bible. That is a very postmodern, atheistic, Gnostic idea that is, I mean, really started with kind of the intellectual movement um, within within schools, within universities. I mean, you look at what Harvard, what are some of the other schools that were Princeton, Princeton Yale. Yeah. Um, these all started as Christian institutions. They started as training for pastors. They yeah. have like actual theological departments still to this day, right. which is crazy to think about now because Harvard, Yale, I mean, those are the institutes that are pushing um, just utter secular, anti-Christian rhetoric, and yet they started out as Christian institutions, which is just incredible to think about. Oh, I know. I I mean, isn't wasn't it isn't it Harvard that like the new head of the theological department is an atheist? Yeah, he was just yeah, like he is the head. That's how far afield we've gone from those times. And that's why it's so important to know, because he is teaching his doctrine, like he's teaching religion. And yet, no, like we're not should not be learning from him. We should, in fact, be like making a defense of our faith against him. Right. And so it's very much that I say intellectual, quote unquote. I think you can be a Christian and be highly intellectual. Well, that's the whole point. of yes. yeah, we're, We are trying to look at scripture right now through an intellectual lens. Um, but you can but it's get that. Yeah. But it's that thought of like you're only intellectual if you don't uh, believe in this right. spiritual stuff. But being an atheist takes a huge amount of faith right. of its own. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of silly that they make that argument that we abandon reason and only have faith. And it's like, well, not really. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about it from an intellectual standpoint. Um, but it is it's a very, very important thing that we know that they uh, progressive Christianity, the secular worldview wants to come after the inerrancy of scripture hard. Right. And um, so we just need to be aware and we need to stand firm. Okay, have I belabored that point enough I in today's episode? I think we've hammered this into the ground, so let's move <laughs> oh, on Oh, I just bit. get excited about it. Okay, so um, there is a lot more in scripture that we could go into. So, so far we've kind of made arguments um, from church history, but anytime we're looking at a doctrine, it needs to be scripture that's making that argument yes, first and foremost. Yes, that is the ultimate authority, like we said. Right, so there's more scripture we could go into, but why don't you share a couple right now? Sure, so let's just look at a few verses to talk about this. If you look at 1 Peter 3, 2, it says... You should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So that is something that's indicating the divine inspiration of Scripture. And then if you look at 2 Timothy 3.16, which I think this is probably like the primary key Scripture that anyone would use when talking about the divine nature of Scripture, because it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. Now, for anyone who's listened to last episode's family discipleship portion, that was actually the memory verse. So you should already be familiar with that scripture. <laughs> 
So now that we've established what the word of God is and established what the historical creeds and theologians say about it, let's take a look at the purpose of revelation yes. within God's word. Good idea. And this is getting, now that we've established all of that, we're getting a little bit more practical and a little bit more applicable. So first of all, the revelation of God's truth, which is found in the Bible, is not just for the purpose of learning information or for laying out the morals that we should live by. That's obviously important. And that's what we're talking about right now. Obviously, we're learning information, or I hope we are <laughs> through this, <laughs> but that is not the ultimate purpose. That's not just the primary or only purpose. Gearhardus Voss says, revelation is the interpretation of redemption. I think that's an important point. What is the overarching like theme throughout scripture? It's God redeeming his people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That is a very, very central point to the revelation of scripture and its divine nature. We need to always remember that. The, I mean, the whole point, like if we are not saved from our sin by Christ's sacrifice on the cross, then like, what are we even doing here studying the Bible? Mm -hmm. That is, first of all, it can't, I think one, as a Christian, it can be very easy to almost like move past the gospel message mm -hmm. and the fact that your sins have been forgiven and that you are saved because now you're like, okay, great. But now what do I do with that? Like, let's move on. Let's study like, how to live and all these things. And that is good. But like, it is so important not to move beyond and just to kind of like ignore it. It's in your rearview mirror that you've been saved. Redemption is like the ultimate central, one of those things that arches throughout scripture that we need well, to remember. You know what? Kind of focus on. So I have a biblical studies degree. Now, my biblical studies degree was from a fairly liberal college. Yeah. So, so we shouldn't trust anything you say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, however, what I was going to say is, though, even having studied scripture on a very deep level and things, it was kind of a mind-blowing thing as an adult to really move into deeper systematic and historical theology and studying the entirety of scripture, as well as drilling down deep on certain verses, is to see that the story of redemption is literally what the Bible is about. Yeah. And so when we look back and we look at Adam, when we look at Abraham making his first sacrifice, when we look at every single, when we look at the covenants, Every single thing is the story of redemption. Right. And we, and I just, when we sometimes too much just look at isolated Bible stories here or there, we just look at Noah and what's the application. We miss this overarching story of redemption. And I just, the more that I study it from that perspective, the more mind blowing it is to yeah. see that all of God's working is through that story of redemption. And it is the gospel, even through the Old Testament working. And um, just to be able to see the glimpses of that in the Old Testament and in the New yeah. is just really cool. And to and keep to study that perspective. Both. I think, you know, oh, there are, absolutely. there's a famous quote from someone, a, a, past, a current pastor who said, like, you know, he would like to unhitch the Old Testament from the New because we really should just be focusing on the New. Uh, that's Terrible advice. Not a good idea. And I mean, if you look, if you look like you were just saying, Jamie, at an overarching look at scripture in the Old Testament and the New, you can look at the law in the Old Testament and compare it to the gospel in the New Testament. You can see the progression. You can see the changes. In the, and 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 I think that's actually highly valuable. That's why as as Christians, we are encouraged and, and actually told by God's word itself that we should always be reading the mm -hmm. scripture mm -hmm. because the more you read it, the more you come to see these things, the more you can understand its importance. Uh, Michael Horton actually had a really kind of um, clever statement about this. I, I wrote it down here. It's the law's imperatives tell us what must be done. The gospel's indicatives tell us what God has done. 
I really liked that. It stuck in my mind when I read that. And I think that's a good way to go into reading scripture, which we all should be doing. And so I guess if you don't currently have like a daily Bible reading plan, I encourage you start reading, just start Pick a book of the Bible. There's millions of plans out there that you can look at if you want to actually like a good idea of where to start just or start. I actually this year, because it had been a while since I've done it canonically in 2021, I just was like, you know, what? I'm going back to Genesis and I'm going to read Genesis through Revelation. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm currently doing this year. And it's been very, um, very helpful and edifying. Well, and there's a time to drill down and study one verse, one passage, one book, very, very intensely, which we need to do. Right. And then there's other times, I think sometimes I get so stuck on that for several years, I go so deep, which is great that we should have that. And then it's like every couple of years, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to take a step back and read all of scripture all at once. Right. Like, like read it through. I think that's such a good kind of balance there of making sure we're doing both of those. Yeah. Okay. So um, as we wrap up, let's just talk a little bit more about why is this so important, which I think I have Maybe believer that I, I think. Well, <laughs> well, you, we'll just let's just wrap it up yeah. with the bow. Jamie and I prepare <laughs> outlines for these episodes because we we want to know what we want to touch on, but then we end up chatting about it, which is actually a very intentional decision for this podcast. We want the format to be a chatty discussion, but I do think sometimes it causes us to veer into places that we are planning on talking about later. But now we've already done it a little bit. But anyways, hopefully. There's some good meat in here that we can give you. Still. It's important points, though. I know. I do it, too. I'm not saying you do it. it. We do it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you are historically you are the king of repeating yourself. Like we'll have conversations. and I'm like, Jason, you already told me this. He's like, I know, but I feel like I needed to summarize it and say it again in a different way. Like he'll say the same thing like three times. And I'm like, I get I it. I know. I think so I got used to that at my at my corporate job. It was very like in sales meetings and stuff like you got to tell them multiple times <laughs> and i think that's infected the way that i speak in general now so i am sorry it drives me nuts sometimes but yes i am the one who's been repeating too much in this episode okay let's briefly talk though so why is this important as we wrap this all up with a nice little neat bow um and i think it as we are kicking off systematic theology really diving into and i'm i'm so excited like i'm so like when we get into baptism we're gonna be able to talk about the different you know the views like that i think is when it's going to be really fun uh to me anyway um but it, it's important to establish early on in our talk of theology because if scripture isn't god's word then the authority of it means nothing yeah and so if this book was merely written by human men and nothing else it means very little and that is what progressive christians think or those who are not Christians. And so we need to make sure that we know what we believe. And so to the current postmodern Gnostic or atheistic scholars, God's word is little more than an ancient document written by men. They see no revelation in it. Uh, and it, even if some do try to spiritualize it, very much progressives will spiritualize it, um, but they don't attach the same authority as we're going to talk about in the next episode. And that's the important part. And this leads to all kind of spiritualism that calls itself Christianity, and it is not. Uh, it leads to cults adding on to scripture, as we'll discuss in the canon episodes. Yep. Um, so it all starts here. Do we really believe that scripture is God's word? And why do we believe that? So if if you are still struggling with this concept, or maybe you have a kid or, or kids who are, there is so much you can dive into further to study this. I would highly encourage you that if you want to go deeper on this topic, um, you can go beyond what we've talked about here today. There, You can go back to the early church fathers, some of those whom I quoted today. You can look at the some of those historical documents, those creeds and those statements that we have, that we have quoted. Well, so can I interrupt real fast? So mm -hmm. one of the things is I, I was thinking as you're talking about, like, if you have a child who's having questions, I think 
20, 30 years ago, Christian parents would get scared if their kids had questions. And so it was almost kind of, not, not everybody, but I think in the cultural Christianity, there was kind of a point where it was like, you couldn't ask questions. Like if you were questioning, it means you were wrong or outside of faith or bad, like you couldn't have doubts. And I think that pushed a lot of young Christians uh, to rejecting because they felt like Christianity didn't have a base. It didn't have legs to stand on. And so um, now we we firmly believe that being a Christian uh, is by God's calling. God's calling you. You can't um, rationalize yourself into the Christian into, faith. Yeah. However, especially young Christians, especially kids, let's address and, and, and meet head on their questions. Let's encourage questions. Yes, let's encourage questions because guess what? Christianity can stand for itself. There is historical, this is not, I mean, if we are approaching that this, this is literally God's word, he created this universe, he has created all things, guess what? It can take your children's questions. It can take your questions. If you're having doubts, absolutely lean into those and and research and go into yeah. God's word. And there's so much out there. And so one of the things I want to encourage you, we probably talked about these already. One book is called Mama Bear Apologetics. Um, it is written to moms, but if if a husband is struggling with some of this, he can totally read it too. But it's talking about the, this exact thing, the importance of um, establishing of of being able to answer these questions right. and not be afraid of them. And then the other one, we did talk about this because I couldn't remember the name last time. Elisa Ch- Childers yeah. book. What's uh, the name of it? You remembered it last that time. That one is... Um, well, okay, whatever. No oh, Other Gospel. Yes. No. Or Another Gospel? Something. I don't think that. I don't even think that's close. Maybe it is. Elisa Childers has a very similar book on this topic because she was going to a church where the pastor they they went into like got into this doctrines class, which sounded like it was going to be like this podcast, and yet he kind of revealed that he was. He basically just cast doubt on a lot of these. Well, that he was like basically of... like he was a pastor of the church, and he was basically a gnostic. Like he didn't really like very 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 progressive Christianity, yeah. and she went into this period of doubting everything and kind of her journey of questioning and coming and back around to historical mm-hmm. Christianity. And so yeah. those are some really great resources and there, there are, it is important. There are more on this topic and great resources for if you have questions or if you have kids who have mm-hmm. questions or doubts. A classic that comes to mind would be Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Mm-hmm. There are more recent ones that are excellent, like the two you just named, um, along with um, there's a there's a great one um, by Keller called Reason The Reason for God. That's an excellent one. Uh, doesn't R.C. Sproul have a couple yeah, I mean, I can't yeah, remember the names now. Yeah, and I mean, I think one that comes to mind. I wish I actually had a list. I should have. Well, you know a list. what we'll do. So, what we're going to start doing now, starting with episode three, is in our community, findingjoycommunity.com. Yes. We are actually going to start having the weekly discussions attached to um, each of these. We've been really busy. The first two episodes launched during Jason's launch of his brand new books, The Sterling Spectacles, which is a fiction series for kids. And we've just been like, totally insane trying to keep track of everything. Right. And so now we are going to actually have the weekly discussions so we can well, share. Well, now we actually have more meat to discuss. Yeah, that's true too. Because we were very introductory and establishing yeah, in the last two. So this week we can talk about more books and more resources. And then you guys, this is the thing with the community. You guys all have amazing things. You're sitting here right now and you're like, Jason and Jamie, I could list five books right now. Right. It would if, be and if you do, we want you to. So yes. go so, to Finding Joy Community. Yes. Or ask and say, I've had this doubt. Or my um, kid ha- asked this question. How do I address this or yes. what resources? Crowdsource questions. Yes. That's an amazing yes. idea. So we will do that. Findingjoycommunity.com. Come join us. It's a free app. Um, it's a free community. And so I will say this podcast is the first of, of its kind where we are talking to families. Yes. So my ministry is to women. 
That is what my ministry is. And so the community is a women-based community. So I do want to encourage you because I'm sure we have lots of men now listening in with bringing Jason on. That was that was kind of the point of right. having families. So I just will encourage you, go into the app community like as a family. Yeah. Okay. And then with within, you know, household hermeneutics, we can discuss yeah. all of those resources. If you're a dude, don't feel weird <laughs> that it's primarily women there because the household hermeneutics podcast is for you too. Well, yeah. Have your wife join it and yeah. then it can be, it'll just be like a family. Exactly. A family place. Exactly. Okay. So um, we're going to wrap that up here. In the next episode, we're going to dig deeper into scripture and talk about the authority and the inerrancy of scripture. Which we've obviously touched on a few times here, but that's what we're going to dive deep into, especially the inerrancy topic, because that is very fraught, especially in this day and age. And it needs to be looked at deeply. Yep. So we're doing that next next time. Not next week, but the next episode launch in two weeks. Yep. So now that we've established that God's word is inspired and breathed out, next we need to look at God's word as authoritative and inerrant, uh, which means without error. So Correct. we're going to talk about that. Um, and then after that, I believe, is the next two episodes are the canon. Uh, so it's just going to get it's just going to get more and more fun. We're also looking at um, ancient and modern translations of scripture, because obviously, if you open up your English Bible, you're not reading the original Greek, Hebrew or Aramaic. Uh -huh. So where did we're this come from? That. We're going to talk about um, King James only. Uh, we're going to there's there's a lot. It's going to yes, be really fun. We get so we get so nerdy and excited. <laughs> Everybody's like, calm down. I know. You're like, Why are you so excited about this? I don't <laughs> know, because it's exciting. It's really fun. <laughs> um, so thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you for everybody who's left a rating and review on iTunes. That actually really does help us out um, so much. It helps us with the rankings in the Christianity section of iTunes, which is very, very helpful for fight for, you know, finding new listeners. So if you have five seconds, five minutes, I guess. Um, well, it doesn't take five minutes, but also doesn't take five seconds. Okay, two and a half if minutes. You have a that's good. There, there we go. go. Um, then you can jump onto iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It is actually very helpful. Um, it's also kind of like activity. Like the more that people are on there, like interacting on the iTunes page and then leaving comments, the more that iTunes is like, people like this. So anyway, it's all helpful. We really appreciate it. Um, we have got some really fun things still. I don't know if we've told you on here, but we do have in the works, we are going to be writing a companion book to this first season where all of this stuff, the resources, the quotes, and even more stuff uh, will be written down into a book companion to yeah, go along with this. Format. Yes. Not we, even just like notes or an outline. It'll, it'll actually, actually be, a be a full book. Household Hermeneutics, Volume 1, God in His Word. Um, we do not, because of our other work, um, with Jason's deadline, he is in the middle right now of writing book three and book four to release in November for Sterling Spectacles. You can't see him right now, but he has this look of like, oh, because I am behind. It's, yeah, he's behind. <laughs> so, but it's exciting. So because of some of those other work projects, I don't know when we will get to volume one, but we have, we have got these first four chapters completely written. So yes. we are working on it. Uh, it will come out at some point to be a really great companion piece there. So yes. if there's other resources or things that would be really helpful to have this in a physical book, we want to include family discipleship time in it. So basically it can kind of just be your manual right there for going back to these episodes, yeah. to these topics, having the family worship right there yeah. uh, is what we want to do. So if you have ideas for what to put into it, please let us know. That's actually something I was about to say. Also for the podcast, as we've talked about, we a lot of the topics we're going to be digging deep on and having like series of episodes going through are going to be actual doctrines like bibliology, like we're talking about right now, right. like theology proper, the doctrine of God and, and of Jesus Christ and of the church and of sin and, and the doctrine of man and all these things. However, we also do want to have episodes that are not necessarily looking at an overarching doctrine itself, but are more like a specific 
thing within scripture that might be, you know, smaller than, you know, small enough that it couldn't be called a doctrine, but, um, well, like head coverings, for example, sure. head coverings are something to get asked about so, so often. Oh yeah. And what, how do we look at that historically and what a different churches interpret it as that is something we want to cover. Yeah. Or, or like, you know, maybe, uh, some sort of concept that comes from scripture. If you have ideas the whole point I'm bringing this up is go to the app or go to social media and, and request it. Um, yeah, that doesn't really necessarily helpful. mean that we're going to like stop wherever we are currently and have an episode on that specific thing. But if it's if it's an interesting one, maybe more m- multiple people are interested in it. We will schedule an episode to go deep onto a lot of those things. We already plan to do that. I already have kind of individual topics that I already personally have that I want to go deep on that will have like an episode dedicated to it that isn't necessarily, you know, within an actual like doctrine proper. Um, But I would love to hear from other people on some of those things that like, hey, could you go deep on this thing or that thing? Um, I would love to do that. So please let us know if you have ideas or requests or things that you're interested in. Okay, we are done. This was a nice long episode. Uh, Make sure you tune in to the next episode, episode 3.5, which is the family discipleship episode. We've had really great feedback um, from families. If you're new here, basically the family discipleship episode is meant to be you got you listen to this full episode to get the really deep discussion, the more adult discussion teens absolutely can tune in, but your six year old probably going to get bored. Um, so anybody can listen in They're, These are family friendly, friendly episodes. But then what you do, the concept behind the family discipleship is gather the family together and press play. Yes. And so what the family discipleship episode is, is to help facilitate family discussion around whatever topic we're talking about. So today's is going to be a great one because we're talking about with your kids. Why is scripture? Um, why is it um, divinely inspired? Yes. I almost like forgot what we were talking about. I was like thinking of <laughs> we authority. We talked about it for the last 50 minutes, but what, um, what was it? I was going to say inerrancy, whatever. Um, so you can then, you know, it, we can have a little mini Bible study on this exact topic, boiled down into a very short discussion uh, for kids, but anybody can listen in. We have we have a couple couples who just listen to it as a husband and wife. So yeah. it doesn't have to be kids. It's not, Jason doesn't do like a cutesy little kid voice that's like oh, kill me. for kids. Yeah. Jason couldn't do that. Um, it's not for kids. It's, it's just meant to help facilitate family discipleship but also yes for your kids um and then there's scripture memory there's um there's actually songs we have songs that are in it well i'm giving some catechism some catechisms there's there's just more to it but it's like 10 minutes long which is perfect so that's kind of the point and purpose of that um so and then if you ever have feedback on things you want us to include in that family discipleship yes i'm always very open and flexible on the formatting and if if there's great ideas that you guys have to add to that episode I would love to do that. And I I have actually, it's been cool because one thing I was concerned about is, you know, since we're only releasing every two weeks, is that like, you know, only one episode of Family Discipleship is pretty, pretty, not that much. Um, But the the intent of it is to give you guys a jumping off point to create some of your own, as well as I've heard actual feedback from a lot of people who... Because, you know, obviously these topics are big and deep and can take some time to soak in and actually learn and understand that they actually will go through it multiple times in the two week period between episodes where they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we just listened to the discipleship episode for the fourth time today and uh, the kids are still loving it. And they're they're They've got the, the memory verse down the now. fourth time today. No, no. Th- like today. We oh. listened to it for the fourth time. <laughs> Even like four no times one, in one day. That I could think, have happened, but no one has said that. That would be a well, little excessive. You could listen to it once a week because it has. I mean, it's a five minute lesson, but then it has the scripture memory and the songs to memorize. And so it's 
actually great to just hit play and listen to. So I think that is really helpful. But one of the things too, is we want to help you develop your own family discipleship. Time. Yes. I'm formatting the, this in a way that you can go, oh, I like how we did that, or I want to change that. And then you can do it on your own. Well, we talked about family discipleship before, but there doesn't need to be an exact formula. It doesn't need to look like this every time. It doesn't have to include all the elements, but so many families struggle to say, what should it even look like? Or I'm so stinking tired that my I can't even organize my brain to figure out what we should cover or what we should do. So what we're hoping is not to um, just give you everything and you never have to do anything ever, but that it can help you see how simple this can be. Yes. And that you get together, you have a little verse, you do a little, you know, message, and then you sing a song together. Like it, it, it for us, it felt very hard to establish family worship. Yeah, when we first really had hard. kids, it was like, really, how do we like, do this? It just was so like, what do you do? What do you yeah. include? How, how do you make it a rhythm? How long does it need to be? How formal does it need to be? All but those then, things. Now that we do it, it's so easy. Jason puts the kids down and they sing some of their songs they've memorized. Like it's such a simple routine now, but establishing it was the hard part. So that's what we want to help with. We want to help facilitate um, and just give you some resources because the songs we sing are actually like professionally produced with music and everything. Um, So it's just really cool. I actually like just love it for our family, which is awesome. Okay. We're done talking. I said that like four minutes ago. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. You're amazing. We're excited for the next episode. I'm excited for Canon because then my history-ness can come out. Um, And so thank you so much. We'll see you guys back here in two weeks for the next episode.